0: Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is Reg Watch by RegulatorWatch.com In the art of war, the great military strategist and General Sun Tzu says, every battle is won before it's ever fought, meaning in order to set the stage for victory, you need to manage both your resources and your forces wisely. Now that's good advice, but what does one do if resources are scarce to begin with and your forces are disparate and hard to unite? Joining us today to discuss this question in regard to the battle to save vaping in Canada is Daryl Tempest, executive director of the Canadian Vaping Association. Daryl, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Brent. Uh, it's funny that you say that because that's one of my favorite books, and I think it's very apt to uh, the conversation that we need to have as an industry here over the uh, over the coming months and uh, certainly before the end of twenty or uh, two thousand and twenty-one.
0: Now, I mean, I bring up Sun Tzu because it's becoming clear that anti-vaping opponents really do possess all the key strategic elements to winning the war on vaping. And a couple of examples, which I know you're going to be familiar with, where once vaping held the higher ground, so vaping saves lives, better health, and all that, now vaping opponents own that ground thanks to the so-called epidemic of teen vaping and e-Valley, the vaping-related lung disease. So opponents have what it seems to be all the money, unlimited access to the media, and a stranglehold on regulatory power. And I think if Sun Tzu was to evaluate where vaping is at, I'm afraid his prognosis would be dire.
1: Well, if you look at the Sun Tzu example, what it says is if your enemy is weaker, attack. If your enemy is equal, antagonize. And if your uh, opponent is stronger, reevaluate. So I think at this point, we need to really reevaluate what we've done over the past uh, four years. And we need to strengthen our forces in order to be able to come together with a unified message to deliver that to politicians. Because right now, if you look at public health, if you look at um, uh, all the advocacy groups for lung cancer, heart and stroke, they're all lined up to destroy this industry and to take away the greatest harm reduction opportunity in uh, Canadian history for, uh, for smokers.
0: Now, do you think that uh, the forces that are fighting on behalf of vaping really truly understand what they're facing? You know what?
1: I don't think so. Um, and uh, let me be clear, Brent, for your viewers in, in Canada, they already decided that they were going after vaping regardless of the health consequences that that was going to have on their citizenship, uh, specifically smokers. Uh, I had a um, uh, an open letter to uh, Canadians that I released last week uh, and at the end was a very personal message from, uh, from myself in terms of uh, expressing my views of loved ones that I've lost due to uh, smoking-related um, uh, diseases. And it's as if the stigma means that their life doesn't matter. Using the data and the science, which um, the CVA communicated over 6,000 times last year uh, on pro-vaping messages, that's more than uh, heart and stroke and, and the lung society combined. And it still didn't change the narrative. The pathway that's keeping uh, uh, the federal government at bay is the federal politicians. And that's what we have to focus.
0: Now, so we have what is an extraordinary year ahead of us here in 2021 with the nicotine caps and now the flavor bands. Take us through the first one. We are coming up to the deadline on the nicotine caps. I believe it's March 4th.
1: That is correct. It is March 4th. So Health Canada is taking in consultations. Um, Obviously, we're putting in a consultation, but so many of the CBA members and the business owners are also putting in their own consultations to talk about how um, uh, this will have an impact on, on smokers. I think what's important is the government also does a business risk assessment. So if you look at what we are dealing with with age gating online is that the, the government within the risk assessment said that they could not, <clears throat> or sorry, uh, that the cost to do this would be 50 to $200 a month uh, per company. And if you, we looked at the analytics and the best price that we could get is a dollar per visitor on the front end which means if you have 300,000 or 400,000 people trying to learn from a specific company about vaping, it's three to $400,000 a month that they'd have an upfront cost when the checkout is only at 5%. We made sure that the federal government understood that this impact would happen. And especially during COVID when so many people need to order online, then that uh, that was completely ignored in the uh, policy and regulation. There has been no extension or uh, no um, feedback from Health Canada to help us to ensure that the most successful product in NRT history is available.
0: So, am I to understand then that you got no feedback from Health Canada and the Canadian government with regards to the age gating?
1: No change on the feedback that we gave them in terms of the fact that this is there's no economic plausible uh, solution. Uh, to this problem which means effectively it would kill online
0: sales and that's just one thing then so uh, i mean that could kill online sales you've got the knit cap i mean do you think there's any hope there
1: i think on the nick cap where my largest concern is is if you look at it every other uh gazette has talked about age requirements so you have to be of age to see the marketing. You have to be of age to see the product, Uh, product sampling and retail stores. Everything has been about age restriction. I did not see anything about age restriction in this Gazette one when it comes to nicotine caps.
0: And so that in your mind, then I'm assuming that that, you know, is important that, that they're not going to consider adult only for higher levels of nicotine.
1: They haven't asked for any feedback about the importance of, uh, of high nicotine for smokers and, um, or what it, uh, what it is about age gating. So here's the, uh, the issue, I think, at a, at a high level. There is no conversation about harm reduction. Not at a federal level, not at a provincial level. It is not talked about by the health groups, the health advocates. You know, you got some of the most amazing information coming out of the UK, uh, you know, and we put out a release today. Uh, the UK has now said that they can be smoke-free by 2030, smoke-free as vaping as their, um, as their platform. Our government has said to Canadians, uh, we can be at 5% by 2035. So my question is, why aren't we embracing um, a, a product that is at least twice as successful as, uh, as NRT's? And within their studies, they're finding that it's anywhere between 64 and 74% successful. So we're seeing rates that are unparalleled in terms of the opportunity to, uh, to reduce harm and death and one of the largest cost items that we have for a universally uh, paid for healthcare system. And it is completely being ignored. It's not being talked about at any level, which means that the only people that can bring this up and the only people that can drive why this is important is our own community. And that community includes the businesses that support our industry and our consumers.
0: And let's just take a quick look here, you know, at vaping in England, an evidence update, including vaping for smoking cessation, February 21st, just out from Public Health England. And boy, they've certainly been consistent now, seven years on uh, of coming out in support of vaping. But it seems that Canadian Health Canada and Canadian policymakers are not following their usual standard process of closely aligning with UK.
1: I think it's even beyond that, right? So we look at uh, the war on vaping. The war on vaping has started with uh, youth experimentation. Now, Brent, you and I were young guys. I'm sure we experimented with stuff when we were kids. The ability to legislate that out is is not possible. What have we always done traditionally is that we've limited access. Booze went to liquor stores. You had to show your ID. Um, uh, now with cannabis and that regime coming uh, on board for Canadians, it's it's following the same mold. Um, and you have a product and a conversation that vaping should be regulated like it's a tobacco product when it is the clear answer to being anti-tobacco, to being the pathway to success. Embracing technology and embracing harm reduction um is 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 critical. So, you know, uh the government of Canada is talking about decriminalizing hard drugs. Um, there's been programs for fentanyl. I mean, for the COVID response, they've shut down businesses. They shut down the economy to address what uh potential deaths could come from um from COVID. Yet all the evidence supports vaping as uh, the most critical breakthrough that we've had in the largest form of preventable death globally and it's completely being ignored especially by some of the organizations like heart and stroke and lung that are supposed to be vested and trusted by canadians to support the values of reducing combustible tobacco
0: it's maddening if you ask me after five years of covering this i can't believe that it's getting worse how could it be getting worse
1: because we're not stepping up and we're not having our voices heard. So um, a member of parliament friend of mine, uh, we were talking about this exact uh, problem. And he said, you know what, Daryl, for for every one or two vapers that, uh, or companies that call into my office about how important this is, I get concerns from 400 to 500 parents who said, I don't want my kids to have access to vaping products. And there's, if you look at uh, why there's so much success in the UK uh, with this platform, is because government is vested in doing the right communication about if you're a smoker, you really need to transition to an NRT. So whether that, if the prescriptions work for you, absolutely. If um, if patches work for you, great. If uh, being hypnotized works for you, great. But what we've been able to show as a vaping community is that we are far more successful than any of those platforms by far. The thing is, we haven't got off of our butts to really tell the government that we need this. And I'm talking at all levels and to push back because my thought process in on 2021 is this is the most important dire year of our industry's uh history and we've been like you said i've been doing this since 2015 brent right and we haven't taken the opportunity to really galvanize and let our message be heard we haven't pushed back so in even in nova scotia and let me be clear on nova scotia the businesses there are now closed People are trying to access products online or have returned to smoking. But one thing is for sure is with the United States closing down because UPS can't deliver, FedEx won't deliver vaping products, we are going to find ourselves on an island. And that island will be with uh, limited uh, nicotine levels. And more importantly, which has always been the basis of success for vaping, we are very much at
0: risk at losing flavors at a national level. I can't help but think that they're regulating based on two-year-old data. They're, it's like frozen in time, the teen vaping epidemic, Tossy Valley in there. Then COVID is like kind of the break and the pause. And now they've just picked back up again and, and we're right back where we were two years ago.
1: Well, and let's take it not just from Health Canada because you know and I know Brent Health Canada hasn't said much of anything on the issue. They've actually been quite uh, silent on it, other but, than the but statement. Uh,
0: Daryl, before we do that, let me just say though, isn't that the problem? Because you just finished saying in the UK, it was Public Health England's leadership in terms of driving the bus on vaping as a tool for smoking cessation. Whereas that bus has not been driven here by Health Canada and it's allowed opponents out there, third-party opponents and so forth, to drive the bus. Health Canada's silence might, in fact, be part of the strategy.
1: You stole my statement, Brent. That's exactly (laughs) what I was going to say. And that's the biggest issue because in the vacuum, it allows for people to be able to pick and choose the science. So what I find from uh, a lot of the groups out there that are anti-vapers is that they take the opportunity to use the data when it supports their narrative. um, And then they don't report the balance of it all. Like how is it that we're having a conversation about vaping where there is still not one iota of time spent on the efficacy of harm reduction? It's, it's, it's like an afterthought in so many of these uh, these conversations. And again, I, I, I put a lot of the onus on us. We spend so much time uh, uh, having these spirited debates uh, uh, internally within Facebook groups of, uh, of, of pro-vaping. Yet, you know, we look at the campaigns where we try to engage with uh, With government and it gets barely any support. Right? You you can't, this isn't about doing things in the twos and three thousands. There's one point an estimated 1.1 million vapors in this country. If they want to stay on the platform that allowed them to successfully transfer from deadly combustible tobacco, it is time for us to have our voices heard. And I go back to what that member of parliament told me. If I'm a member of parliament, and I'm in a tight election, am I going to worry about the two or three people that called me to say, I need this product? Or am I going to worry about the 500 to 700 parents that called me and said, I don't want this.
0: Let's introduce our audience here uh, to an opponent. Now, one that they might not be very familiar with. Everyone's familiar with Canadian Cancer Society, you know, heart stroke and lung, the body parts, all that kind of stuff but they might not know about the Ontario Tobacco Research Unit. Basically, it's the Dalla Lana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto and also co-sponsored by the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, which is definitely a powerhouse. I mean, how concerned should Vapors be about the work that's coming out of this unit? Extremely. Extremely.
1: What's important to understand, I think, in terms of, uh, of this group, is that if you were going to build a playbook on how to dismantle this industry and take away the largest harm or reduction opportunity that we have uh, for smokers, this is the group to follow. They're well-funded, they work with public policy, and actually, uh, a lot of the information that they share about the insights of how bureaucracies view us or how public health views us they have a direct line to these groups. So if you want to know where the risk is in our uh, in our future both as retailers, manufacturers and and most importantly consumers, these are the guys to follow. There was a great uh, line that was given to me the other day and what that line was is they talked about dual use. You know, if you both smoke and vape, uh your your health is at risk. So that narrative is the same as saying if you vape and Juggle with hand grenades and you take the pins out, you're at risk. It has nothing to do with the vaping part, it's the hand grenade that you should be really worried about. In this case, they're using that same false narrative that says, We'll pick and choose the data, we won't even tell you how we got it, what the population size was, or how it compares to all the other statistics that are out there. They'll just say, These are the numbers. The problem is is that regulators will take these seriously because society will much, uh, will believe in, um, in groups like this or believe in heart and stroke before they'll believe in an industry saying, that is not the market and that is not what we're serving.
0: So Daryl, the Ontario Tobacco Research Unit, they've got their YouTube page. I highly recommend uh, our viewers to go there. This is regulatory policy for e-cigarette flavors. And let's just play, roll a quick clip here.
2: So you can see here the differences um, between, uh, between interest in the fruit flavors from the different age groups. Um, the younger age groups, 15, 19, 20, and 24, significantly prefer fruit over the older age groups. Whereas if you look at tobacco, the um, the, Preferences for that are largely in the 25 plus. That's that 21% versus 3% for 20 to 24, um, and only 9% for 15 to 19. So, when we're thinking through this, this kind of data, and this report will be available, should inform some of how we're talking about what bands uh, to apply because um, there's this idea that, you know, that, that banning fruit will really hurt adult vapors. And you can see some adult vapors do do uh, use fruit flavors, but really that it's um, largely in the other group. And then you can see that the tobacco flavors really go the other way.
0: What exactly does he mean by that? Uh, is he trying to discount the value of flavors for adult vapors? Is that what you got out of that, Daryl?
1: Well, that's exactly what he's trying to do. And if I could have a conversation with Daniel today, I tell him he has no idea what the hell he's talking about. And I can start with uh, talking about the Euro Monitor, which was commissioned by Health Canada, by the way, that said 62% of uh, agri- or, um, uh, vaping sales uh, were um, uh, were fruits. And we know fruit flavors from our own data because we're actually in the industry of serving adults is a lot higher than 62%, but because uh, that would bring in the C-stores as part of that, uh, that discussion from the Euro Monitor. There's a study from Yale that talks about, and this is to show you the battle that we're in, Brent, and why we are in the battle for our life. Part of that should be that um, the Yale study, which was a large study, showed that uh, adults were too, 0.5 times more likely to be successful because of flavors. So where is that? And where is this group talking about? Because stay in your lane, you're about tobacco reduction and they're talking about in this video that vaping and tobacco should be regulated the same. One kills people and one saves lives. You explain to me, Way that methodology or thought process makes any sense at all,
0: and you know it's a really important to understand that while the you know the demeanor here might be calm, of course you know, and it might be seem a little boring. Uh, this video, you're really watching strategy turn into effective tactic, in my opinion.
1: Yes, because they use their brand, which is we're trying to do uh, good for everyone. And heart and stroke and lung and cancer, you know, I've been doing this forever to attack our industry, right? It's like, how can we be wrong? Because we only want people to uh, quit everything and, and not be addicted. That's not how addiction works. If we look at uh, at vaping, what is it, what has it done? Uh, it has improved health outcomes greatly. It has reduced smoking rates greatly and if you look at those countries that actually invest in it like the UK their results are so phenomenal that they feel that they can announce in nine short years that they will eliminate smoking in their country whoever thought we'd be able to say that 10 years ago
0: yeah there was once a time that uh, i believe that tobacco uh, tobacco controllers in Canada were referencing an at full end game you know of zero but You can't get zero when you're taking away the most effective tool to quit smoking. Let's take a listen to another clip that we have. And by the way, I want to thank uh, Taryn in your office at CVA here for pulling some of these clips they are very quite good. Let's take a listen.
2: So this is the main reason for vaping among never smokers. And you can see the number one reason, both in 2019 and in 2020 for vaping for never smokers is the flavors. So we want to consider this when we're thinking about uh who what those flavors really are appealing to are they appealing to people who are trying to quit or appealing to people who aren't even, who have never smoked don't want to smoke and are just taking up vaping but wouldn't be smoking otherwise.
1: The CDC was clear and they did the largest study that there has been on on flavors and youth uptake. Uh 77.7% uh, of youth said that they um uh we're experimenting with vaping, not because of flavors. The most common reason given was simple curiosity. I suggest that anyone that doesn't think that they're in a position to lose um, uh, lose flavor products in this country need to re- watch this and understand the arguments that they're going to make, because the only thing that's separating and holding back the politicians, and they talk about it in this er, in this video, or sorry, the only thing that's holding back all of these groups from being successful is that the politicians don't want to own it. That's our last line of defense.
2: Overall, the Juul flavor ban had mixed results. Five months after Juul, uh, this is from Tackett et al. study, um, only 28% of Juul users signaled that the flavor restrictions had affected their use. And then, of these, 46% stopped using Juul, but 27% changed their purchasing behavior to either obtain pods online or to use non Juul brand pods. 25% had switched to mint or tobacco flavored. So, these are important to keep going, uh, to understand, but also to to think through for future restrictions. The online marketplace, when we're thinking about how we want to regulate, it it needs to be considered. A lot of restrictions up to now have focused on the uh, convenience stores and general stores, the adult-only stores, and those are important. But a lot of, uh, especially young people, know how to just find these uh, flavors online. So that's a future location for, uh,
0: for research. So the idea being here is that no matter what, we're coming for your vape.
1: Well, in, remember when we used the example about, uh, you know, if you you vape and uh, uh, toss hand grenades, that you could be a danger. Um, this is the way to use certain small segments of these studies. So, and I, I'm going to read this one because I think it's important. What uh, Daniel left out here is that the American Cancer Society looked specifically at the effects of removing flavors on youth use. They found that Jules removal had absolutely no impact on youth use. Evidence that youth are vaping for nicotine, not flavors. Because last time I checked, you don't get addicted to uh, chocolate syrup. So that it's about access to nicotine. It has nothing to do with flavors.
0: So let me get this straight here, based on what I'm hearing is that by taking, by jewel restricting the access, it didn't affect youth use. So in other words, youth use stayed the same. As, in exactly. terms of, at a high level, so that's a tough argument to kind of, kind of, you know, push against because that's it's, why they're saying we need more restrictions. It, then it's it's oh yeah,
1: here here's here's the argument that we need to make publicly, right? And again, why consumers need to to get involved? So you're telling me you take away all the flavors, you continue to experiment now with tobacco flavors. You say your biggest issue is youth uh, transitioning from vaping to tobacco, and you're gonna normalize tobacco? Making that transition easier? And this is what we call, uh, you know, really uh, solid methodology and thought process. 90% of the sales in uh, specialty vape shops is flavored. So what I'll tell Daniel, with all due respect, You're talking out of the side of your mouth, man, because you have no idea what you're talking about.
0: So on that note, then closing up here, what exactly can our viewers do right now to help in this battle?
1: First is um, uh, support the CVA and other campaigns where you get to uh, email in your responses to uh, your members of Parliament and to Health Canada. This is a crucial, crucial element. I know for, uh, from the CVA's perspective, we're going to do three of these, um, which is one se- centers around nicotine. The second is uh, that uh, from harm reduction, uh, from the harm reduction point of view, it has to be a conversation. It's, it's, it's absolutely uh, uh, to the point of, uh, of criminal that we're not having a conversation about harm reduction in this in this country, especially considering at a federal level um, the steps and programs that Health Canada has put forward.
0: Well, people, you know, adults enjoy flavors, too. And when we're talking, you know, talking about saving a life and that is what quitting smoking is, is saving a life. Then there (laughs) has to be room for for adult perspectives, adult needs in this entire conversation. Daryl, I want to thank you uh, for coming back on the show, and I'm sure we're going to have you back on again soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brent, and I wanted to thank tonight's sponsors uh, and to all your listeners. Um, without Red Watch really uh, dialing in and uh, reporting on these issues, uh, we wouldn't be able to get the message out. So I wanted to uh, to thank your whole team and to all those that, uh, that support Red Watch.
0: That's great. Well, thanks, man.